Hey pod classmates, welcome to the second mini pod. Okay, so a quick update on the title of these mini shows. I've narrowed it down to three potential titles. The first is Teacher Time. The second is Conference Period Pods, because I like alliteration for some reason. And the third is, well, just leaving well enough alone and staying with mini pods. I'll put something up later this week on my Instagram story where you can vote on your favorite title. We've got a lot of ground to cover in today's show, so let's get started. But first, a quick fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by True False Questions. True False Questions, because nothing says, I've learned something like semantic bullshit. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason West, although I'm sure you already know that at this point. You can find me on all major forms of social media with the username at TeachMeMrWest, or you can email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. Well, here we are. We are nearing the end of summer. Well, for some of you, you're already at the end of summer, and Godspeed to you all starting your school year in the coming days. Let us know how that goes for you. You're like the red-uniformed crew members of the original Starship Enterprise. Yeah, go ahead, check out that planet. We're just gonna hang back here for a bit where it's safe. As I mentioned, I've got a lot on my mind this week that I wanted to talk about here, but first, I've received quite a bit of listener questions over the last two weeks, so I wanted to take the first few moments of the show to answer some of the questions I received. If you have a question, hit me up on social media or email me, and I'll do my best to answer your questions on or off the air. Okay. So, the first question, and probably the most frequent question I've received these last two weeks is, what is your favorite thing to teach and why? And in this case, the question came from at English Elixir. Okay, so I know this is going to sound like a cop-out, but I honestly love anything that I can connect with, or anything where I can see my students making deep connections. Having said that, my absolute favorite thing to teach is Romeo and Juliet. I've taught that play for over eight years to various grades, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, and I love teaching it every year. I love the reactions students have when I explain a bunch of hypersexualized plot points and double entendres. I love, with a capital L, when I get to the point near the end of the play where I ask the students how much time has passed since the play began, and I love it even more when the kids come right up to the edge of staging an uprising over the fact that the whole story takes place over a matter of a few days. It's something that engages students, it engages me, and it brings out a love and appreciation for great literature in everyone in the room. What more could you want out of your curriculum? Alright, so the next question is, do you believe in using red pens when grading? This is from at Soham Dave D.O. That's a really interesting question. Uh, Honestly, I don't do a lot of marking on papers at all. Uh, I used to, until I realized that I was spending hours writing comments that kids just weren't reading. Uh, What I like to do now is I like to conference with students and discuss my thoughts on their papers. I mean, if a kid reads my comments but doesn't understand what I wrote, they're just going to come up and ask me after class anyway, so I'd still be meeting with them, but this way I'm meeting with them in a structured time during class rather than on my own time. I think the intention of using the red pen, by the way, just to get to your question, at the beginning 
was to catch the eye of the student, to help them see where the feedback was because it was in a different color. And I think I read somewhere that the color red is the first color the brain registers. Anyway, I say use whatever color you want to mark papers, but rather than give students the marked up papers with the hope or expectation that they'll read it and process it exactly the way you intended, just sit down with them. Talk them through your thinking. I don't know. My students seem to respond a lot better to that, and I see a lot more immediate improvement in their work than when I just give them their papers covered in my red comments. Okay, so last question for this week before we get into the main topic. This one from X Cecilia L. Do teachers have gossip? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's probably best that I leave that one alone. Uh, let's try for another final question. Uh, this one is care of at Lady Swain underscore. What do you do on the first day of school for kids to get to know each other? That's a really good question. Um, what I've actually done in the past is I've done activities for me to get to know the students a little bit better. Uh, I give them questionnaires that I collect and I read. I also play uh, a game where it relies on the whole class working together to solve this kind of verbal puzzle. And what's really fun about that is you can tell right away from that game who the alpha students are in that class because they're the ones who are immediately taking charge. They're trying to control the group. They're trying to control the flow of the puzzle. And that's those those are the kids that you know, okay, I'm not going to sit those kids together in a table because they're just going to spend the whole class fighting with one another. Um, in terms of the kids getting to know one another, that's really interesting because earlier this year, I had the privilege of going to a restorative justice training. And... I learned a lot about restorative justice, primarily that it's not just about uh, not punishing a kid who has done something wrong. Uh, That's kind of the bad rap it gets. It's about so much more, and it's really also a lot about community building. Uh, And so this year, I'm going to try doing some community building activities. At the beginning of class, I'm going to spend actually the first two weeks doing community building activities. with the idea that I will make up that lost instructional time because the students will be so much more engaged and will know how to work together and they'll trust me as their teacher a lot more and I won't have to stop and readdress behavioral issues or readdress the standards and norms and routines that I've set up for the classroom because I've already hit that and we've already created a community so early on in the school year. So uh, I will definitely let you know how that goes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't know if I'm walking uh, to my own demise or if I've uh, stumbled upon something that is going to completely alter the way I teach for the rest of my life. Uh, wish me luck. <laughs> All right, let's get into the main topic. Uh, it's called teaching it for the gram. What you're hearing here is a clip that is making its way around the internet. In this clip, a teacher is standing on student desks and leading her students in a choreographed song and dance. The kids are roughly fourth grade. I have a huge problem with this clip. Now, 
I want to start by saying that I don't know this teacher. I'm going to go ahead and assume good intentions on her part, and I'm also going to assume that her students love her and that she's an excellent teacher. Still, I have a problem with this clip. Actually, I have a lot of problems with this clip, and I'm not the only one. I've spoken to a few peers about this. One teacher said they were uncomfortable with the level of cultural appropriation on display here. Just for clarity, the teacher is white, and over 90% of the students in the clip are white as well. I also spoke with the principal who noted the time commitment given for learning a new song and dance. He said, if this were my school, those kids better not fail a single damn thing all year. And to his point, this teacher has a social media account with no fewer than 20 different song and dance routines with her students. So what's my problem? This video, and the thousands of others like it, not just from this teacher, are doing what I like to call teaching it for the gram. We are in an era where more people die per year from trying to take selfies than they do from shark attacks. This, of course, has prompted Steven Spielberg to make his next summer blockbuster, Duckface. Duckface. You'll never use a selfie stick again. And as dumb as that is, we are equally in the midst of an era in education where quality teaching is seen as something that needs to have the same qualities as something that goes viral. Teachers are filming stunts or gimmicks, or they are merely mimicking something they've already seen on the internet just for the sake of going viral. Don't believe me? Do a YouTube search for Teacher Special Handshake. Now, as someone who uses social media all the time to talk about my teaching practices, I'm not going to sit here on my high horse and pretend I've never showed off a bit on social media. But I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I only post photos about food my students give me as a way to encourage other students to bring me food. And what can I say? I'm both fat and shameless. But what you often find in these viral or quasi-viral clips is fun for the sake of fun and not for the sake of learning or using teaching strategies for the sole purpose of showcasing teaching strategies and not because they were useful or necessary for that lesson. So why are teachers doing this? Well, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it's for fame and notoriety. Maybe it's from immense pride that they have in their work. Or maybe it's for more subscribers on social media. Or maybe it's because, consciously or not, Every one of these viral-chasing teachers wants to be, or thinks they are, Ron Clark. And that's a dangerous goal. For those of you who don't know, Ron Clark was the Disney Teacher of the Year in 2000, he was the first man chosen to be one of Oprah Winfrey's phenomenal men, and they even made a movie about him in 2006 starring Chandler Bing. After his quick rocket to the stratosphere in education, seven years later Ron Clark founded the Ron Clark Academy. He's also written numerous books, been featured on every major news outlet, and has visited with sitting presidents and other heads of state. So why is it so bad that so many people want to be him? Well, the thing is, and I say this with great humility and respect for all the quality teachers out there, but Ron Clark is a straw man. He is the Wizard of Oz. There is no there there. Now, I don't mean Ron Clark the person is all of those things. I'm sure he's a fine person. He clearly loves what he does, and his students love him right back. But the idea, the concept, of Ron Clark being the model for excellence in education is a complete fallacy. See, Ron Clark rose in popularity because of his out-of-the-box teaching strategies. Primarily, he was famous for singing and dancing and generally performing his way through every one of his classes. He's like the Anne Hathaway of education. We get it. You were a theater kid in high school. Clark famously recorded hours of lessons for his sub to show his classes when he was out sick with pneumonia for fear that his students wouldn't receive his special brand of instruction, which he called edutaining. Now, 
I'm not someone who takes myself very seriously. In fact, I have deep archives of social media posts, blog posts, and, well, now podcasts to show just how dumb I really think I am. But I take my role as a teacher very seriously, and that's my biggest problem with this model. I think it's important to be able to reach students on their level without pandering to them. I believe that I'm an educator and not a court jester. But most importantly, I believe that I should be the least important person in a room full of learners. Ron Clark has made a career out of being the most important person in his classroom. When Clark was out sick, he knew his classroom was doomed to fail unless he filmed himself giving his lessons. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Ron Clark's teaching strategies weren't the key to his success. It was Ron Clark himself that allowed for his success. It's like the Mission Impossible franchise. We don't go to see those movies for the plot. We go to see the special effects that hold Tom Cruise's face together. Speaking of old things barely held together, I want to quickly note that one of the secretly insidious aspects of the Ron Clark model is that it works under the assumption that all good teaching is rooted in the minds and bodies of young teachers who have the ability to jump on a table and dance for their students. Ageism is a real thing in education. I know principals that treat the hiring process like they were the casting director for The Bachelor. Sorry, Brenda, but if you remember the Clinton years, then you are too old for love. These principals won't even interview a candidate if they graduated high school before 2003, because in their minds, young, vibrant, and moldable teachers are the future of education. And while you can absolutely be a bad teacher because you've allowed yourself to become spiritually old and complacent, there are many, many excellent teachers who are near or already at the age of Dumbledore. Pretending to be Ron Clark is not a guarantee for success, and it's, frankly, an untenable assumption that many in education are now making. Take a look at his Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. According to an article written in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the RCA spends more than twice the amount of money per student than the average Georgia public school. Not only that, but the school needs to raise around $2 million of its $4 million a year budget just to keep its doors open. And so far, they've managed to do this through corporate sponsorship and donations, through holding RCA professional development seminars, and by selling Ron Clark merchandise. Even still, to make things more affordable, Clark himself takes a meager salary of about $15,000 a year, which he makes up for through his book deals and speaking tours. You know, like all highly effective teachers do. I say all of this not to hate on the efforts of Ron Clark. Again, I think what he does is great. It clearly works for him, and he's clearly good for kids. But his teaching is an unsustainable model. Without Ron Clark, without that secret sauce of his physical presence, my guess is that the Ron Clark Academy wouldn't last very long. And that is why I have a problem with this video. We can't all be Ron Clark. We shouldn't even try. And my hope is that, to everyone listening to this... Okay, fine. To the three people still listening to this, before you go ahead and film something amazing happening in your class, or before you share a video of something a teacher staged for the camera, ask yourself, is this something I would normally do without the presence of cameras? Or am I just teaching it for the gram. That's our show. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, please feel free to hit me up on social media. Again, I can be found at at TeachMeMrWest on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me your thoughts and questions to podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. I hope you come back next week for my interview with educator Jacob Roeder. I'm not going to tell you what makes this interview so special, You'll just have to listen next week to find out, but trust me, it's a good interview, and you're not going to want to miss it. Well, that's all for this week. 
Podcast dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>